ahead and open up to Jeremiah 6. That's where we're going to be reading from once we get to it. But before that, Dr. Seuss has a poem called The Zode in the Road. It says, did I ever tell you about the young Zode who came to a sign at the fork of the road? He looked one way and the other two. And Zode had to make up his mind about what to do. Well, the Zode scratched his head and his chin and his pants, and he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance. If I go to place one, that place may be hot. So how will I know if I like it or not? On the other hand, though, I'll feel like a fool if I go to place two and find it's too cool. In that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So place one may be best and not place two. Play safe, cried the Zode. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'm simply going to start off to both places at once. And that's how the Zode, who would not take a chance, went no place at all with a split in his pants. You know, the poor Zode, he couldn't make up his mind. Yeah, that's okay. It'll go up there eventually. Poor Zode, he couldn't make up his mind about which way to go. And so instead of making a decision, he decided he wasn't going to make any decision at all. Instead, he was going to take both roads at the same time. He didn't want to make a decision. And so in his indecision, he made a decision. I don't know. See, this is one of those things. Let me see if I can get it up real quick. It's got a beautiful picture. And if we don't see it, it's just such a shame. So, let's move on a little bit. He wouldn't make a decision, and so in his indecision, he made a decision after all. And, you know, I, I took this class, part of my psychology major, it was called Perception and Action. And it was a master's level course. And it turns out once you get up to that level, you, you're surrounded by professors who are making it up as they go along because they're trying to, um, you know, they're doing research and stuff. And, and that's what a lot of their classes are about. And this guy, his theory was that perception is integral to action. Oftentimes when we study perception, we're looking at, you know, how the eyes perceive the world around us. He said, well, you can't take that away from how we act. When we see something, we act on it. And one of his um, research topics was on standing, and that when we are standing, we are, in fact, constantly falling. We're constantly adjusting. Every time we're standing up, that's why we're burning calories when we're standing here. It's why my watch counts this as exercise right now, because I am adjusting as I um, as I stand here. And so we are constantly falling. We're constantly readjusting. And in fact, in life, we see that. Every single day, we are making decisions. More than that, every second of our lives, we are making decisions. Good decisions, bad decisions, in between decisions, but we're always making them. So if we're faced with decisions every moment of our lives, why is it so hard? Why do we have such a hard time making decisions? I don't have the slide up to say that's a question, but it's a question. Why do we have such a hard time making decisions? Okay, so we're insecure if we're making the right or the wrong decisions. Why else do we have a difficult time making decisions? Okay. Mm-hmm. 
We don't think we have enough information. And so that was one of the, um, uh, a big focus of political science is why people don't go and vote, right? That's a huge reason why people don't go and vote. They don't think they have enough information to go in there and make a real decision, that they're just winging it, that they're picking or pulling whatever lever um, they want randomly, and so they don't go to the polls. Why else don't we make decisions? We're afraid of the consequences, absolutely. Why was the Zode in the road uh, putting a split in his pants? Because one place he thought might be too hot, but place B, well, that might be too cold. And so he said, I'm just going to go right down the middle, see what that's like. Why else don't we make decisions? Uh-huh. Absolutely. We, and that's what the case we're in all the time, right? We scroll through Facebook, and we see a million things to do on a Friday night, and so what do we do? I watch Netflix. <laughs> that's my decision. Now let's see if it goes up. It might work now. We'll see. If not, let me know. It's going. Okay, this is the zone on the road. Why else don't we make decisions? Consequences, not just for us, but we're afraid that it might have consequences for other people. So, you know, there's lots of decisions we make every day. Go ahead, Kim. One of the consequences, uh, one of the reasons it's hard for people to make decisions, including myself, is because I know that whatever decision I make, I'm going to have to take action on that decision. Mm -hmm. And maybe I don't want to take action on it. Yeah. So, inertia. Mm -hmm. If it, if it goes to the blue screen again, just ignore it. Read your Bible. <laughs> so there's lots of decisions that we have to make every single day. We see lots of reasons why those decisions are difficult to make. But we also know if a decision is important enough that we will choose eventually make a decision. We will eventually um, be able to get over that if the decision is important enough to us. And in the Bible, God is constantly telling his people, we have to make a decision. Joshua 24, 15, Joshua, he challenged the Israelites to choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, what was he going to do? We will serve the Lord. Make the decision. Serve the Lord. A couple hundred years later, Mount Carmel, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you be the zode in the road looking in two different directions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. First Kings 1821. If we believe that the God of the Bible is in fact the one true living God, follow him. If we don't believe that, follow someone else. But make a decision. Make up your mind. Make a choice. Why? Because if we choose not to decide, that is a choice. We're choosing indecision. And in today's text here in Jeremiah 6, he, Jeremiah is telling the people of Israel, you have to make a decision. Jeremiah 6.16, it says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. You know, just like the Zod, God tells his people, you have to make a decision. You are at a crossroads between going to place A or place B. So make a decision, decide which road you're going to choose because as we know now, we don't see this in Jeremiah so much, but as we go forward, we'll see eternity hangs in the balance. So 
We make decisions every moment of our lives. Some of those decisions are hard. Some of them aren't so hard. But what kind of choices does God want us to make? Hmm? Good ones. Absolutely. How do we define good, though? Paul, going before um, the political and religious leaders of his day and saying, I'm going to stand up for someone that you call a heretic. That wasn't a very good decision, was it? (laughs) Absolutely. So how do we know what's the best decision versus what is the worst decision? We're glorifying God. That's a, a, a safe bet that we're going in the right direction. Knowledgeable decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know why you're making the decision. You need to be able to go to God's word and say, this is the reason I'm acting the way I am. We need to follow him. We need to confront sin. We need to share his gospel. We need to live our lives for him. We need to pray without ceasing. I think in a lot of ways that praying without ceasing, that's exactly what we're talking about here. It doesn't mean that we're um, silent monks in a monastery somewhere, never um, talking to the outside world. It means every moment we are making a decision, and as Christians, we put those decisions to God, and we say, choose our lives for us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he echoes Jeremiah's words here. He says in Matthew 7, and we know this, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So there are two roads, he says, and you have to make a choice. One road is wide, and it's easy to travel. Lots of people choose that road. The other is narrow, and it leads to life. But few seem to choose that path. But Jesus says, you have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. You have to choose your road. For some people... They say, ah, we'd rather compromise. We'd rather find an in-between route. We know the narrow road. The Bible is the most published book on earth. It's everywhere. If you want access to it, especially at least for us sitting here in this room, if we want access to it, we have it. We can pull out our phones. We can go to the public library and get on a computer. Um, we've got free ones stuck back there if anyone's looking. Maybe other places of the world it's more difficult to have access people we're talking to around here, everyone has access to know what the narrow road is. At least where we're living, everyone is fortunate enough to know and have access to the truth. So if everyone around us can know what the narrow road is, why aren't they walking on it? Why do we stray from it, even though we're sitting here today studying it? Why do we sometimes stray from the narrow road? Going in the different direction. Yeah. It's not, it's not a default decision. It's mm-hmm. an active decision. Mm-hmm. You have to try to stay on that road. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Why else? We have to try to stay on that road. Devil's pushing us the other way. Mm-hmm. Why else? Why wouldn't we want... We're talking about if we want to, it's an active decision, we have to make that. Why would we might not want to be 
on the narrow road. probably be easier to be on a, a wide road. You have room for more friends on a wide road to go with you. Absolutely. A lot of people don't think that, uh, that eternal life or heaven is really all that outstanding. <laughs> uh, they think it's just boring. You know? mm-hmm. Put around on the side of playing hockey. I run into a lot of those people. I'm not too much into the harp. I'm okay. <laughs> For our society, I think for a lot of people, the narrow road is just too narrow. They don't like it. They call it, and they, they, they have this phrase, narrow-minded, right? It's intolerant. It's too strict. A little of Jesus might be a good thing, just like we talked about the other day. A little bit of kindness, that might be a good thing. Every business book out there says you should be kind to people who are going to benefit you, right? But Jesus calls us to be kind to our enemies. No business book is going to tell you to do that. The same thing goes um, with everything else with Christianity. The world might like bits and pieces of Jesus. They'll put up his quotes on, um, you know, as motivational things in schools and all of that, but too much, and that's just too far. It's too straight-laced. It's too pure. They tell us to loosen up. Don't be so serious. Mix in a little worldliness in with your faith. Don't be so narrow-minded. Don't be so narrow. Take the broad way. And in fact, the world, the world has a, a word for that too, right? Broad-minded or, or open-minded. It's tolerant. It's accepting. Take the broad way. Go for the big gate. Don't be so narrow-minded. Don't go for the hard choices. Just go with the flow. And God, if he exists, is going to understand that, they say. God is going to understand that you took the easy path. And one of the, the Peanuts comic strips, Linus and Charlie Brown, they're Uh, engaged in a serious conversation. Linus says, I have a theological question. When you die, when you go to heaven, are you graded on a percentage or a curve? On a curve, naturally, Charlie responds. And Linus asks puzzledly, how can you be so sure? Charlie brightly answers, I'm always sure about things that are a matter of opinion. (laughs) I like that. That's the prevailing approach to faith, right? Society seems to be unable or unwilling to discover the truth about God, what we're talking about on Wednesday night, and so they relegate it to a matter of opinion. And if our faith is just a matter of opinion, then why on earth would we be so narrow-minded? It's not objective reality, it's a subjective truth that we like to apply ourselves. It's like our our taste in anything else, our clothes or our food or our houses, whatever. There's no right or wrong to it. it, it's whatever we prefer. It's a matter of personal taste. If you like Hinduism as opposed to Buddhism, then pick your flavor. And if there is a God, well, he's going to understand because you just took the easy way. Everyone's trying to reach him in different ways. Shouldn't make any difference as long as you're sincere. And the one thing that has gotten Christians and Christianity into trouble with people down through the ages is that we have to say, the Bible tells us to, well, yes, it does matter. It does make a difference what you believe. That's gotten us in a lot of trouble. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's like what we read in 1 Kings. God gives us a choice. He says, you're allowed to believe that Baal is God, and you're allowed to believe that Jehovah's God. 
Those are our choices. But if we are going to believe in the God of the Bible, we can't take bits and pieces. He says he's everything. He, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And he doesn't allow us to just take parts of him. Peter declared salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. If we're going to trust the Bible, we have to accept all of it. We have to accept that no, nothing else can offer the insight that it gives us. And here in Acts 17, we'll read a bit there. Uh, Paul's telling the Athenians the very same thing. It says in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, or as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, verse 29, we are the offspring of God. We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's deceiving, or devising, excuse me. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him, meaning Jesus, from the dead. You can catch all that he's saying here. Jesus, Peter, and now Paul, they're all telling us that God has no intention of being tolerant anymore. In the past, God overlooked ignorance, but not anymore. Now God calls for repentance, not open-mindedness, not broad-mindedness. Notice the, the crux of Paul's argument here, here in verses 29 through 31. God is calling for us to repent because there will be a day of judgment. That's the crux of all this. The world is fond you know, of telling us that, that we have no right to tell anyone what is right or wrong. That, that there's, uh, that's not a nice thing to do. That's not a kind thing to do. But what Paul is declaring is it's not nice to tell people uh, when they're or it's not nice to not tell people when they're wrong because, crux of his argument, judgment is coming. And if people don't recognize that what they believe is wrong, the consequences can be deadly. God says, make a choice. Decide what you're going to do. You can choose life by walking on the narrow way, please God, or you can be broad-minded and end up going someplace you don't want to go. And just about every other serious field of knowledge, being broad-minded isn't Accepted. Any field of science, you can't be broad-minded. In the chemical lab, you can't uh, say and, and change chemical formulas of water. You can't have uh, uh, waters composed of, of two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, and anything else isn't going to work. You can't have it in music. If you're on the wrong note, you're on the wrong note. Now, there's room for creativity in all of this, a little bit. But if you're on the wrong note, people will know when you're sitting in the orchestra. Every other serious field of knowledge recognizes there are limits to being broad-minded. There's a, a 
no tolerance for mistruths. And here in Acts 17, Paul says it's the same thing with God. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus doesn't just say make a choice. He says we already are. Every moment of our lives, we are making a choice between, like it says in 1 Kings, Baal or God. Another God or God. We can't simply put off making a decision because when we are indecisive, that in fact is a choice. You'll end up like the zode in the road, not going anywhere, just with a split in your pants. So by choosing not to decide, we have already decided. But God says make a choice. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Don't put it off. In your indecision, there is eternity. So what can we do to better make or make better decisions consistently making the right decision all the time if we're making them every moment of every day that's a lot of decisions to make that's a it's you know sometimes we look at decision making and we look at the big things you know where am i going to work who am i going to marry what am i going to do um in my retirement and we look at these big decisions and they think and we think those define our lives but we're making millions of small decisions every single day. So how can we consistently make those small decisions better? What do we think? Prayer. Pray without ceasing. Every single moment of my life doesn't mean that um, constantly sitting on my knees with my eyes closed. It means I am giving my plans to God and letting him choose. What else can we do? Talk to other Christians, people we trust, our family here, especially when we're making big decisions. Now, how many big decisions in our lives do we make before we come to the church? You know, a lot of times we come and announce things to the church. That's not who we should be. That's not what a family is for. We're to come and talk about those big decisions, not just announce them, talk about them, discuss them with people who we trust in the church. What else can we do? to make better decisions consistently. If we give ourselves That's a big thing in forming habits and stuff is get rid of the, the stuff that doesn't matter, but it's got you know, important spiritual implications. We worry so much about things that simply do not matter that we're burnt out by the time we get to decisions that do matter. What did Jesus say about worrying, about clothes, food, water? He said, okay, God knows we need those things and do not worry. Now, if you're talking to me, food is a pretty basic thing to worry about. He's not talking about worrying about having a nice car and a nice house and a nice family and all these things. He's talking about the most basic things in life. Do not worry about them. Those aren't the important things. When we're giving our brain power, our mental power to decision making, it should be primarily focused on spiritual matters. Now, after we do that, we can focus on those physical matters, but we have to focus on what's important first. So we've talked about prayer, talked about relying on the church, other Christians, people we trust, to make decisions. We've talked about prioritizing our decisions. What else can we do to make better decisions consistently? Ken? A lot of time yep. Yep. That's the other thing on my list. Gotta be in the Word of God. If we are just sitting um, in prayer, if we're just talking to other people for advice, 
Um, and even if we're prioritizing our advice, none of it's going to work if we don't have our nose in the word of God every chance we get to try to make these decisions. You know, the harder the choice, the you know, harder it is sometimes for me to choose, and sometimes we freeze up in making these decisions. So let's go back to uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, there in verse 16. Because I think that, you know, we went through some good answers, but I think Jeremiah gives us a good formula too. First, I think in this verse 16, he's telling us we need to realize how important the decision is. We need to prioritize our decisions, but when we come to those important decisions, we need to realize just how important these things are. We talked about, you know, when people choose not to go on the narrow road, I think Ken said it. It's because we don't understand the direction it's going in. We don't understand the purpose. We, we think that what God has given us is just to restrict us and make us less free. No, in fact, it is there to give us freedom, to offer us eternal freedom. Um, and, and so we have to realize why we are going down this path we are. He says in verse 16, stand at the crossroads and look. You know, we are at a crossroads, and we need to realize we have to make a decision. I think oftentimes in our lives, especially when we're not at those big decisions, we don't realize we're at the crossroads. We don't realize how important the decisions we're making in that moment truly are when we're sitting at the traffic light or when we're at home with our family or whatever it is. It's not that life or death moment where we're choosing between being a doctor and a lawyer. It's when we're figuring out if we're going to go home for dinner or we're going to go do something else or all these other little decisions throughout our lives. Now, sometimes it's not always going to be uh, easy to know what the right path is. Sometimes it will be a little harder, especially in those minute decisions. You know, the more we know God's word, the more time we spend in, um, with the church and with other Christians, the more obvious that right decision will be. But the problem often doesn't lie in us knowing which road is right. Pretty often we do know that. The problem is facing the possibility that it's not going to be a fun journey while we travel it. We'll risk, um, obviously, in the church, we risk persecution. Um, I think that's a uh, we don't face persecution today. That, that's not something that, that we don't think we're going to be whipped in the street for most of our decisions. We might be rejected. We might suffer some other kind of pain. But Jesus knew that we will suffer for the decisions we make for him, for traveling down this narrow road, that it's not always going to be a fun journey. He said, Luke 6, Blessed are the men who hate you when men hate you, when they exclude you and they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Leap for joy when people reject you and insult you and exclude you because you're walking on the narrow road. The road can be hard, but Jesus says the rewards are worth it. You know, Don't let anyone fool you that walking on the narrow road is easy and it's going to come without any difficulties. Count the cost. Know that it's going to be difficult. It's a narrow road and there is a reason why few people choose it but also know that God is watching to see what you'll do. He's watching with the desire to reward us if we make the right decision in that moment. All right, number two, ask for the good road, says Jeremiah. Get help. Go to other Christians and go to God. You know, the good road, it's not hard to find. We, we have it available um, 
anytime we want it, on our phones, on our computers, in a book on our, in our library, we can come and ask questions when we need to. Acts 17, 31, Paul says, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. We have proof of what the right road is because the Son of God came to earth and rose from the grave. You know, there's a, a got a book of, of church signs, right? And all the different uh, fun sayings that Christina puts out there a lot of times. Um, there's one that says, if you're okay and I'm okay, then explain the cross. Paul's saying the crux of his argument of why um, we need to be following Christ, even on the narrow road when it's difficult, is that Jesus died and he rose from the grave, that there was a cross. If everything's okay, if we aren't, if there's no need for us to be focused on the decisions we make, then explain why Jesus had to die on a cross, why the perfect Son of God, the sinless Son of God, had to die. It's because we weren't okay, because we needed help. And there's some people who try to challenge our faith by focusing on things that are so far from that. They ask, do you really believe that God created the world in seven days? Or do you really believe there was a, a flood that covered the whole earth? Or do you really believe Moses parted the sea and crossed on dry ground? And we have answers to that. We believe the word of God. But that wasn't what Paul focused on when he went to the world to preach the gospel. He focused on Christ and him crucified. And the rest followed from that. The crux of our argument is that Jesus came and we believe he came for a reason, because we needed help. People will try to sidetrack us, but that's the focus. That's what Paul wrote when, or meant when he said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. Uh, it's not complicated. If we know Christ, we'll know the road we need to take. And Jeremiah says we're not going to figure this out by ourselves. We need to ask for help. You know, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. We need to go and rely on other people. We shouldn't make decisions um, alone in the dark. We should uh, be with our families, be with our Christian family to make those decisions. Number three that I got from here in Jeremiah 6.16, we need to act on what we know. Again, most of the time we know what the right decision is. Even if we don't like it, even if we're trying to suppress it, we know what is right and wrong especially when we become Christians. We know what is right and what is wrong. The problem is we don't want to take the path. We don't want to do what we need to do. And I can talk the talk all day long, but until I act on what I say, I'm not going to go anywhere. And that's the message from this Dr. Seuss poem, Zode on the Road. The Zode, he talked a good walk or talk, but he didn't walk the walk. He'd come to a crossroad and he couldn't decide. There, there's only one path that will lead to God. And Jesus said, I'm it. I am the way and the truth and the life. And just as Jeremiah said, if Israel would only choose that right path and if they would walk in it, they would find rest. Jesus says, if we're willing to follow him, we too will find rest in our lives. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You have to choose the right path. So which path will you choose? You know, there's the broad-minded path, which allows uh, you to choose which part of Jesus you want. You can pick and choose what you like and what you don't. Not too much of Jesus, or maybe a little bit more, but just enough to make you comfortable. But Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. And then there's the narrow path, the one few choose, because it seems too narrow, too difficult, too hard. And this morning, we talked about the danger of getting older. 
and we start to believe that we have more and more figured out than we actually do. And so it becomes uh, harder and harder to change, to try new things, to, to do things differently. And the good news we've heard tonight is every second that we are awake and still breathing, we have the opportunity to change our minds. We have an opportunity to make a new decision, even in our indecision. When we don't think we are deciding, we in fact are. And just like when we're standing, we're always falling and correcting, right? That is our life. We always have the opportunity to correct. We also have the opportunity to fall down. You know, the question is, we're always making decisions. Are we making the right ones? So if you're ready to start walking a narrow road that leads to eternal life, if you're ready to repent and be baptized and then continue uh, relying on Jesus to make the right decisions in your life, we're here to help you as you uh, make that decision, as we stand and as we sing.